Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Fantastic. Well, uh, great to have you here uh, once again at Elevation. Uh, I know Rachel already welcomed you, but I want to welcome you again if I haven't met you before. Uh, my name is Marty, and together with Rachel, they get the great privilege of uh, leading this location of Elevation. Uh, today, we are continuing our series, uh, which is called Genuine. Our real relationships in a superficial world. And I'm speaking on the topic of God's vision for marriage. Now, I did mention this at the end of uh, the service last week, but, um, but this message is not going to be, oh, here's five steps to improve your marriage, help you argue less, make sure no one sleeps on the lounge, and you know, get, get on better. Th- those messages are important. We need those, we need those practical uh, skills and things that we can add to our marriage. But what I'm going to attempt to do today is paint a picture of what God has in mind when we speak about marriage. Uh, I'm going to be right up front with you. This message is going to be a touch longer. Uh, how good's the silence? That's, that's why we only sang three songs, not four. Some of you are like, dang, I came to the wrong week. Less worship and more preaching. Others are like, yes, I get to sit down for five minutes long and don't have to sing so much. So, you know, wherever you fit on that spectrum is fine, but um, uh, I want to let you know, and not in any awkward or cringy, uh, cringy way, sorry, but a message on God's vision for marriage will include references to sexual intimacy. It will be very PG, don't freak out, um, but if you do have small children, that's your heads up. Uh, Elevation Kids is out there, parents' room is there, and we can turn the volume down as well, but trust me, it'll be PG, it's okay. All right, so right now, as soon as I say... As soon as I say that this is our topic, there's going to be multiple things happening in the room. There's some single people here who aren't married. Maybe you desire to be married, maybe you don't. And you're just thinking, oh, please, don't just make this all about the marriage. You may be wrestling, struggling, asking God why it hasn't happened yet. And I want you to know it's okay. I'm not just going to make this into like a marriage idol type sort of thing. We're not going to do a, you know, cringy church. You know, if you're single, put your hand up and then turn around and see all the other single people or anything, anything like that, right? Nothing, nothing like that at all. We're not going to make you feel left out or less than, okay? There's some people here as well and um, there's others and the talk of marriage brings up real hurt, pain and suffering. Maybe it traces back to childhood, previous marriages, or relationships, I want you to know that God sees your hurt, he sees the pain, but he also sees a picture of you healed and whole. This probably won't be a come down the front moment, a one shum and you're all better. I usually find, I usually find that it's a, it's a journey of allowing God's grace and mercy to come and bring healing and wholeness to our lives. Still, still others here, maybe you're, you're here right now and you're married or in another relationship and it's actually abusive. There's no other way to say it but that. Can I encourage you that you are safe here, that you are loved here at, at, at this church, that you do not have to live in that environment, talk to somebody, reach out. We're, we're not professionals in that area, but we can refer you to people that are. You'll even notice 
um, I know it's just in the women's bathroom, not in, not in the men's, but there's a poster there for the uh, Centre for Women's Safety and Wellbeing. It has details on it. Please, you don't have to live like that, okay? That, that's not God's call on your life. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're married and it's tough right now. And what you thought it would be like is not what it is at all. And even now you're like, can you just hurry up? You're like, I know this is just the setup and you haven't really started yet, but can you, can, can you just move it along, please? Because I don't, I don't want to hear this, but can I encourage you? There is hope. There is hope. God can move. We believe in miracles. We believe in God uh, making a way where there seems like no way. And last one, maybe you're hearing there's a little feeling of dread inside you because you're not quite sure, but you think that you know what the church is teaching on marriage is going to be, and you're pretty sure that your life right now or your relationship right now is out of is out of kilter a little bit with that. Can I say wherever you fall in any of those categories or any others that I haven't mentioned, let's just suspend our judgments for a moment. Let's suspend our concerns and fears and say, God, I open up my heart that as we, as we look at your word, as we learn to follow your ways more in life, God, stir my heart and let my everyday reflect your glory. So, so let's pray. God, we thank you right now for this time together. We thank you for your word, God. We pray over every single person here, married, singled, where, where, wherever they are on that spectrum, God. We just thank you right now that you just come and you bring your heart, you bring your hope, and you bring your presence to people's lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone who believes, said, amen, amen. So up front, I want to show you a couple of um, resources where the majority of this message comes from because I think it's important to resource ourselves, especially in this area. Obviously, the Bible is our foundational text for church, probably a good thing. On, on a Sunday morning, we'll be using a lot of scripture. But um, up on the screen will be a list, a list of books. If you like reading, um, I recommend all of them. First one is this. It's called A Better Story, God, Sex, and Human Flourishing. It's by Glenn Harrison. Brilliant. Highly recommended. Fairly simple-ish read as well. The next one is called The Meaning of Marriage, Facing the Complexities of Marriage with the Wisdom of God. Tim Keller, one of my personal favorite Authors, late great Tim Keller, and uh, with his wife Kathy Keller. Uh, fourth one as well. This is a this is a nerd book. If you're into this, it's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self: Culture Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to the Sexual Revolution by Carl, by Carl R. Truman. It's it's brilliant, but it is a nerd book as well. So you know, just some light reading for you know. Oh, what am I going to do? I might read about expressive individualism instead of watching Netflix. But whatever whatever it is that's there as a resource for you. Because um, you see, for too long in recent history in Christianity, it's been Christianity, Christianity has been seen as the non thinking, all faith approach to life. Now, obviously, you can't think your way to God, it takes faith. The Bible says in Hebrews that it's impossible, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But also, God has given us, um, God has given us intellect, reason, and thought. And as we approach this story of marriage and what it means for the kingdom of God, they're very gifted thinkers, people of faith. And so let's lean into their God-given abilities and gifts. And so not only is this a biblical, and there'll be a little bit of cultural analysis in terms of where we are as Australia in 2023, but this is also a, a pastoral discussion. You're like, well, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, we've been speaking about genuine relationships, We've been highlighting the fact that God calls us to live in community together, uh, where we would stir one another up, the Bible says, to love 
and good deeds. So that in mind, as a church together, how should we approach this topic and others when it comes to our own personal journey with Jesus? I like this quote by Christian author and theologian Dallas Willard. Speaking about discipleship in the church, he says this, churches can be compared to hospitals with people at various stages of recovery and progress towards health. Some will be undergoing radical surgery or other strong treatment. Some will be in ICU. Others will be taking their first wobbly steps after a lengthy time bedridden. And others will be showing the flush of health and steady strength as they get ready to resume their ordinary life. And I love this part. And there will be old warriors with many battle scars and many victories with the steady gleam of hope for a better country, that's a reference to Hebrews 11:16. in their eyes. Parallels to these stages should be found in every church. I love that, that last sentence, that in a healthy church, and it's, a healthy church is filled with people in all different stages of following Jesus. That's, that's what God has called us to. None of us have it all together, but our hope is that we're all moving towards God's vision for our lives, whatever area that may be in. Some days, it's two steps forward and one step back. Other days, it's the opposite, two steps forward and, sorry, two steps back and one step forward. But uh, my goal for today is to communicate, like I said, God's vision for marriage. And like we've said a, a number of times, vision, I like this definition, vision is a clear picture of a preferred future. It's a goal and a direction, something that we aim our lives towards. None of us are there, no matter how many years we've been married. I know for Rachel and myself, uh, we have been married for 18 years. Yep, that's correct. Um, <laughs> We've been married for 18, 2005, and so uh, we do our best to, to live out our marriage in a way that shares God's story, but we have many failings, many doubts, many mess-ups as well. So, so God has a vision for marriage, a story to tell which we believe is compelling. It gets below the surface and it taps into the driving forces that shape so much of our existence. And you see, the issue is that the church as a whole has not always done an amazing job at telling God's story of marriage. I have not always done an amazing job of telling God's story of marriage. And this one will also be flawed, not 100% clear. But too often when we're asked, well, why does the church teach this about marriage? We've answered with simply, well, the Bible says so, which is 100% accurate, by the way, However, for those that are wrestling with identity or they're, maybe they're like, hey, I've seen marriage in my family or around my friends and you know, that way didn't really seem to help or work out well, the, the Bible says it's very, it's very true and we'll unpack that a bit later, but it's also not that compelling. Or, or sometimes we've said things like, well, well, marriage, well, that's the way it's always been, which once again is true, sort of, we'll talk about Genesis and marriage in a few moments. That's the start of the Bible. But it's also not entirely true either because our Western culture um, is birthed out of first century Greco and Roman world, which was then turned completely upside down by this Jesus movement of people. We, 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 many times we miss this and many people in society don't realize this, that our sense of justice, human rights, wanting to right wrongs and overcome oppression are actually all formed by our Christian and biblical worldview. 
As an example, let's take this scripture, Ephesians 5, 22 to 28, fairly famous one when it comes to marriage. Uh, Paul, who wrote Ephesians, says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as church, even as Christ, sorry, is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. As we, as we read that, maybe in our context in Australia in 2023, we think, oh, not really sure how that works. Wives submit to your husbands. But do you, but do you know what the first century reader, someone from the church in Ephesus in about 62 AD, would have thought when they read this letter from Paul, the men would have been like, are you serious? Give yourself up for your wife. Ah, no way. I like this submission part, but give yourself up for your wife. No way. I- impossible. I'm not doing that. You know why? Because that was so countercultural to what was happening in the world at that time. You see, what the Bible is saying just in this little passage here is that submission and sacrificial love work hand in hand, that a husband's sacrificial love creates a place of safety and value for submission. You see, maybe here we might get challenged about the wives submit to your husband, but the original hearers of this letter would have been severely challenged about the men love your wives as Christ loved the church. What, what am I saying in all this? I'm saying that it doesn't, the power of the Bible and God's word is that it challenges our human concepts and ideas no matter the time and no matter the place. It's always challenging. It always has been and it always will be. Okay, so maybe we haven't communicated God's vision of marriage and essentially the why behind it that well, but um, maybe we haven't told, the thing is, sorry, the thing is that we have a better story. And this is a bad analogy, but maybe it's a little bit like Uh, God has this amazing product, yet as the church, as his followers, you know, the marketing team, we've dropped the ball a little bit. By contrast, the world and current society has a far inferior product, but has done an amazing job of selling it and marketing it. In in the book that I highlighted earlier, um, A Better Story, God, Sex and Human Flourishing, Glenn Harrison tracks what he calls is the sexual revolution. And, and he tracks its story. He defines it like this. I know this feels a bit nerdy at the start, but trust me, we're getting somewhere, right? It's important to lay foundations. This is what he says. Uh, this is his definition of the sexual revolution. He says, The overturning and liberalization of long-established social and moral attitudes to sex that began in Western culture in the 1960s and continues to this present day. At the heart of this revolution sits the relaxation of the idea that sex is given for enjoyment within the, within the commitments, including towards children, of marriage. But there has been a broader unraveling as well. Sex is portrayed much more explicitly in literature and films. Cohabitation has become the norm. Attitudes to same-sex sex have been liberalized. Pornography is mainstream. And the idea that gender is fluid is everywhere. Nevertheless, the core of the revolution is the severing of the link between sex and marriage that for centuries, because of Christianity's influence, 
in Rome in, through the first and fourth centuries occupied the mainstream of Western culture. And, you know, we see these, these ideas and concepts played out everywhere in society. They're shown in the entertainment industry as the, you know, talented and imaginative screenwriters and actors, they're portrayed as, you know, outsiders and they're, you know, oppressed brave men and women who are overcoming, you know, fossilized bishops and hypocritical politicians to be, you know, who they really are. We, we even see it in a low-grade way. I, I think of this often. We see it in, um, you know, like American um, sitcoms where, where the jokes and the, and the innu, innuendo are about sex stopping once the marriage begins. What is that? That's, what, that's culture telling, trying to tell us this is what marriage is. And so we don't have time to dive into all the reasons why, but again from the book, Lynn Harrison says this near the end. He says, in the last few chapters, the promises of the sexual revolution have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. He says this, we have been careful, this is important, to acknowledge that it isn't all bad news. However, the revolution has um, ushered in important new freedoms and opportunities, especially for women. Those previously pushed to the margins have, been found, uh, have found justice and social inclusion, and we should welcome and celebrate these developments. But when we stand back and survey the entire landscape of the revolution, we witness injustice heaped upon children, more people than ever living alone, the collapse of marriage among the poor, fatherless wastelands of social deprivation, and the pornification of childhood. One of the core messages of the gospel is that idols always ask for more and more, but give less and less, until in the end, they have everything and you have nothing. And so it is here. The irony is that after the revolution, even as they continue to obsess over their identities, people are not even having more or better sex than before. The core ideas of the revolution, be yourself, find the you within, appear to be just another idolatry. I think if we're honest, we can take a look around and maybe identify with that as the world that we live in. But what I want to do, that's, that's where we're at. I know you're like, whoa, that was a long time to get to where we're at. But that's where we're at. I want to go back to the start. Let's start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. You can sing the song if you want. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man. Okay, now, uh, next to, uh, actually I won't say that, otherwise I'll run out of time. Okay, forget I said that. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, to understand God's vision for marriage, the first thing we need to understand is this number one. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, is that we are created as image bearers. We're created as image bearers. This is so vital and informs so much about what we believe. You see, the Christian vision for sex and relationships is grounded in the foundational truth that human beings are creatures made in the image of God, and our identity is defined by this reality. 
Our identity is not something that we have discovered within ourselves or constructed for ourselves. Our creator God revealed it to us. The current culture that we live in um, says something quite different. Uh, Carl Truman in his book says it like this, uh, talking about current society. He said, it is that the goal of life is to be true to who you are on the inside. That your identity is not found in time or place or anything external. Your identity is found in who you feel you are, regardless of even your biology or physical makeup. And therefore, any external institution or social norm or person or moral framework that is not allowing you to be who you really are, your authentic self is oppressive, immoral, and even dangerous. But as we just said, that's the opposite of God's story. God's story is that you have an identity that is designed by your creator. I know I talk about this a lot, I feel I do anyway, but there's great hope to be found in a revelation that I am a creature made by God, that I don't have to try and and figure it out myself. And this, this solidifies our vision of marriage because number two is this, is that marriage is a God idea not a human invention. Marriage is a good idea, not a human invention. We're still at the beginning of creation. So in the first chapter that I just read, we're told that God created mankind, male and female, he created them, that they had to fill the earth and, uh, be, uh, and multiply and be fruitful. That was, like the, that was like the headlines. And then in Genesis chapter 2, it gets into the detail a little bit, and it finishes with this verse in uh, chapter 2. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You see, there's something astonishing about these verses Um, You might not have tracked this, but but I want to show you. Let's review for a second when we get to this spot. Who is in the world? There's God, three in one, Father, Spirit, Son. He's in the world. There's creation, so animals, birds, fish, blah, blah, blah. There's this epic garden paradise, and there's two people, Adam and Eve. That's it. That's it. There is no one else. Yet at this time... God decides to set up the idea of marriage and throw sex in there as well for good measure. That's the two shall become one flesh, right? So he even goes as far as saying, leaving father and mother. Hold up. Who who were Adam and Eve's father and mother? Well, Adam was formed from the dust of the ground by God, and then Eve comes out of his rib. So, I mean, who was their father and mother? Did they have belly buttons? I don't know. We don't, we, we don't know. Some of you are like, that's the point I'm going to take home. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? I, I don't know. But So, so who, who is their father and mother? It, 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 there's no point of that being right here except that God is actually setting the family in motion right there at the end of Genesis 2. Why? It's not because it was needed for social cohesion. It wasn't needed for any other reason besides it was God's design. Now, important. This doesn't mean that if you're single, you're out of God's design. There are plenty of incredible single people all throughout time and space living God's way. Here's a few to throw at you. Jesus, 
did a quite decent job of influencing the world as a single person. Paul, also a single person, you know, sort of wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You know, the the reason, if you're a non-Jewish person like me, the reason you know the gospel is because of Paul. He did a pretty good job. Mother Teresa, she did a pretty good job at influencing the world. So, so So we're not saying that you're out of God's design, but my point is, is that marriage doesn't flow out of necessity. It flows out of who God is and how he decided to set up humanity. See, because marriage is God's design, not a human invention. So that was the start of the Bible. But what we're going to do is we're going to go right, we're going to flip if you, you know, weren't on you version and had, um, you know, paper Bible. We're going to flip right to nearly the end and we're going to go to Revelation chapter 19. This is only, this is the last book of the Bible. It's about three chapters before the end. Uh, I'm going to read this. Uh, so this is, this is the Apostle John who gets his vision says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult, and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, so here we have another marriage. We have another marriage again. And this time it's been between Christ or the lamb as it's represented there and his bride, the church. That's me and you. That is every follower of Jesus from all nations at all times. You see, the Bible doesn't teach that there is no marriage in heaven. The Bible teaches there is one marriage in heaven and that is between Christ and the church. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, we read the start of this passage earlier, but I'll read these verses. Notice he's quoting from Genesis. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see, this is why this is so important. Marriage is not a, you know, a human idea. It's not come up with to help society function better. It's actually God's idea. Because our marriages, what they actually do is they point to Christ. And they are a foretaste, even in all their weakness and failings, of the eternal perfect union that we will all find in Christ. Now, we hear that, and I don't know if you're like me, I'm like, holy dooly, I don't know what. I don't know how, my mind is definitely not that. I don't know how we're going to get there. But, but through the power of God and through his grace and his mercy, we'll, we'll see a little bit later, as we hold fast to what the Bible teaches us about marriage, our marriages point people to Christ. Again, Glenn Harrison says this, no other union offers a full picture of the complementary nature of reconciliation, the coming together of earth and heaven, of God with his people, of Christ with his bride. That's what we just talked about. 
This is why the biblical idea of marriage can't be re-engineered to validate other kinds of commitments, say between three people or people of the same sex. In a secular society, it is perfectly possible to enter into these different types of civil contracts in such circumstances, but these kinds of arrangements are not the same thing as the biblical institution of marriage. Okay, so here we are. We've, we've realized that we're created in the image of God, and we realize that that actually brings us freedom because it means that I don't have to strive to try and make sense of myself as I, as I allow God to come and shape me as I, as, I, as I follow his ways, as I'm transformed into his image. I realize that that's where I flourish the best. Not, not only that, but we've discovered that, that marriage was not just set up so that you know, everyone could get along better and society functioned and last names worked okay and the phone book worked and there's no phone book anymore, but you know, whatever. Like, that's, 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 not, that's not why. So number three is this, is that marriage is God's plan for sex. Hello, some of you just woke up. What? What did he say? What did he say? Right at the beginning, when we were defining the sexual revolution, we said that one of its key components was about severing the link between sex and marriage. Yet, as we read earlier in Genesis 2, God links sex um, with marriage right from the start. I'll read it again. Chapter 2, 24, 25. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. As we are talking about this, it can be easy for shame, guilt, embarrassment or even judgment to set in. Can I categorically state that every single person here has failed and sinned against God somewhere when it comes to the area of sex, sexuality, lust, pornography, right? We're all sinners saved by grace. So can we we just level that out for a second? We're, we're We're all the same. We're all sinners saved by grace. Tim Keller says this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. 1 John 1 says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see, God's vision of sex um, being in the confines of biblical marriage between one man and one woman, it, break, it breaks open a number of uh, pivotal keys about God's love. And so we're going to quickly uh, look at two because time's getting away from me. Number one is this. What does sex inside of marriage tells, tell us about God's love? It tells us, number one, that it's passionate. The sexual desire that God has placed in us as humans is not wrong. It has been disordered like most parts of our identity And our journey through life is to allow God's word and spirit to shape us and transform us into the image of Christ. But our sexual desire actually teaches us about the intense passion of God's love. So so, so what does it it tell us? It tells us that God's love is passionate. Number two, what else does it tell us? It tells us that God's love is always faithful. You see, the vision of sex being linked to marriage displays the faithfulness of God's love. The essence of faithfulness is that it holds steady in the face of alternatives. Faithfulness is actually strengthened and nurtured by overcoming temptation. 
You see, the wife and husband who remain faithful to each other, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, not only bear testament, testimony to the type of love that God has, but they actually put it on display for the rest of the world to see. So as you say, as a husband, I'm being faithful to my wife, not, not only are you, you know, ensuring that you're gonna have a, a great life, let's be honest, it doesn't mean everything's going to go fine, but it means that when you're older, your children will probably want to come around. They're, they're, it's going to explain, not only is it going to work out better for you, but it shows this great picture of the type of love that God has. You might be asking as we're talking about all this, hey, I thought you said you weren't going to leave out the single people. Good question. Glenn Harrison says this. He says, it's important to grasp that single Christians who abstain from sex outside of the marriage bond bear witness to the faithful nature of God's love with the same authority as those who have sex inside the marriage bond. Both paint pictures of God's faithfulness, but in different ways. Denying yourself something can, just, uh, can be just as potent a picture of a thing's goodness as helping yourself to it. He continues, both single and married people who abstain from sex outside the marriage bond point to the same thing. They both deploy their sexuality in ways that serve as a sign of the kingdom and the faithful character of God's passion. In refusing to have sex outside of marriage, the single person witnesses to the unbreakable link between passion and faithfulness. And in refusing to commit adultery, the married person bears witness to the same truth. This is an important point. So marriage is a gift from God, a sacred covenant, between one man and one woman that tells an incredible story of Christ's love for the church. Both the married by their faithfulness to each other and the, married, and the unmarried, sorry, by their chastity play different roles in upholding the biblical concept of marriage as the only God-given context for intimate sexual love. I, I wanna uh, finish, with, finish this, with this quote. Maybe the band can come and join me. And then... Uh, maybe give some, some next steps as well. Uh, I love this. Uh, Glenn Harrison again says this. Uh, marriage creates a culture that binds men to their responsibilities for the children they help bring into the world. It fosters expectations that boys and men will develop virtues of commitment and faithfulness. You see, as we come to a close and, and, and wrap up here, uh, I know there's been a lot here to digest. Maybe you're well into your marriage, maybe even several decades, and we talked about this being, a, this being God's vision for marriage. You know, just on Friday, uh, I went in. It was a, a humbling, humbling experience. I went in to get my eyes checked. I know. I went in to the optometrist, and he said, when was your last um, eye check? And I said, never. <laughs> and then I humbled myself and sat in front of the thing and got the things and felt like my eyes were watering afterwards and walking down the forum looking like I'm crying, whatever. Um, partly because I'm aging, partly because my eyes are sore. You know, what, 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 anyway, the, um, the end of that story is I need the very smallest um, reading glasses sometimes. So it made me feel slightly better. But, but maybe, maybe for you, maybe you've been married for a long time, maybe a short time. And like I did on Friday, this was just a little bit of a vision check for you. As, uh, can, can I be really honest? As I um, read through a bunch of these resources, studied through this, I'm like, man, I've learned so much. 
I've learned so much for my marriage. It's more than even what I thought it was. The depths of what God sets up is even greater and more powerful than I ever thought. And so can I suggest for those that have been married for maybe a little bit or whatever, can I suggest this was maybe a little bit of an eye check, a little bit of a, a vision check for you today. When you look at your marriage, do you see all those tremendous truths that we spoke about? Or isn't time for a, a bit of adjustment? Do you need a little bit of uh, reading glasses with a, with a plus two prescription on it? Is, is there something that just needs to be, you know, changed around and shifted a little bit? Remembering that, hey, I am displaying through my marriage, I'm displaying God's love to the world. That when you get tempted by alternatives, whether in the flesh or online, let's, let's be real and talk real at church, you say no because of the faithfulness of God to you. You say no because I am setting my mind and my heart on the things of God. I'm letting my marriage display the kind of faithfulness, even though I know it will be flawed, but, but I'm gonna do my best to let my marriage display the faithful, passionate love that Jesus has towards me. Maybe you're here and you're a young person and maybe you're a teenager and you're not looking to get married. Can I encourage you the story that the world is telling you is marketed very well, but it comes apart so easily at the seams. That true human flourishing, I, I wanna tell you, you will be the best you. You will walk in the purposes and the things of God. And when, when you say no to trying to just fulfill yourself, but say yes to living in harmony with your true identity, which is found in Christ Jesus, which is found as I am a son and I am a daughter of God. I, I wanna encourage you young people, fill your life with the Word of God. Fill your life with young people. Surround yourself with the people around you that will speak of the things of God and will speak God's truth into your life. Can, can, can I encourage you very little of that, of that which is found on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever speaks to the truth of who God says you are. It's found in the Word of God. It's found as we worship Him. It's found as we set our hearts and minds and say, God, would you speak to me? Maybe you're here and like I said at the start, this whole topic has brought hurt and things of the past and present right to the service. Like I said, we believe that there is healing and wholeness in Jesus. Would you be so brave as just to open your heart to Him and say, okay, God, I know there's stuff from past, maybe stuff from childhood, maybe it's previous relationships, whatever it is, but would you just open up? I just wanna open up my life to you right now. Would you come bring healing and wholeness because I wanna walk in your plan and your purpose for my life. And finally, maybe this has been all completely new to you. Maybe you weren't raised with this type of thinking around marriage, maybe in a variety of ways, the picture that I've outlined is not an accurate picture of your life right now or your feelings or your relationship status. Can, can, can I say this in a, in a loving way? We, we cast a vision for many things in this church. Next week, I'm speaking about forgiveness. And I know that some of us, probably not many because, you know, we're great, but I know that some of us will walk out of next week's message still holding on to bitterness when the call is to let it go. Do you know what? you're still allowed back next week. 
didn't, didn't, didn't know what I mean? Like Jackie came up here and shared so powerfully about why she gives, yet, and this is not a shot, hear me right, yet many people here don't give. You still come next week. That's, to, that's, to, that's totally fine. So when we talk about this topic, your life and your uh, relationships might not reflect this right now. Can, can I say the first thing, can I encourage you the first thing, come back next week. The first thing, still go to life group, still get involved. Why? Because like I read at the start, that quote from Willard, the whole point of church is that we are gathered together. We're moving, whoop, I nearly fell off the stage. We're moving in a way together. We're moving forward together, but we're at different stages and that's okay. What our goal is as a church is to present the truth in love. That's what Jesus did and say, come on, Holy Spirit, come around us and let's start to make our way towards what you have called us for. Because here's the thing, for all of us, it's about stepping towards that vision of God for marriage, for singleness. And we've got to come back to go, okay, what's the next step for me? What's the next step for me? Maybe you're here and like I said, I know I'm sort of prolonging this a bit, but it's okay. You love us. You'll be fine. Um, maybe, maybe you're like, I actually don't know. I, I, I don't know. What, what should, I, I don't know what I should do. Come and talk to us. Not because we have all the answers, but because we want to journey with you to go, okay, what is, the, what is the next step for me? What is the next step to start to align and head towards the vision that God has for my life. Maybe here and you're, you're struggling with pornography. You're struggling with lust. Come and talk to someone that you trust. We want to walk with you and head towards a vision of wholeness and purity that God has called you to. Maybe you're here and like I said, your relationship is not quite what we talked about in, um, in the vision of God's marriage. Come and talk to us. We want to step with you towards what God is calling us all to. We're all broken. We all need God's help, but let's step there together as a church. Across this place, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we thank you right now for this time. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we pray right now that you would just move on hearts and move on lives. And even this morning, God, we just thank you right now as we talked about displaying your love to the world that your love is passionate. Your love is faithful. Marriage also shows that his love is fruitful. And so this morning, as we look across, if there's someone here and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, would you just lift your hand right now? We'll see it. You can put it back down and then we're gonna pray together. Is there someone like that that wants to say yes to Jesus? Maybe you've never said yes before or maybe you have and you know, some things have come to, uh, to knock you off course and to sever that, that link with God. Is there someone like that that wants to say yes to Jesus Christ? We thank you right now.